let me congratulate you. I'm proud to be your son. My boy, you took the voice right out of my mouth. I'm ashamed to be your father. Welcome to the coronavirus edition of the Jay Hopkins Interviews. Hi everyone, this is Bob Gassell. Uh, Matthew and Noah are quarantined at the moment, so they will not be able to join us. But I am here with the man himself, Jay Hopkins, and we're going to listen today to a talk Jay had with uh, Groucho's son Arthur back in 1984. Uh, first of all, how you doing, Jay? I'm just fine, and I wish to express my appreciation, Bob. This is the first time I've ever been identified with a pandemic. <laughs> and certainly not the last. Well, <laughs> I'll give it the old college try. <laughs> what exactly uh, brought you to meet Arthur, and how did, how did you set this all up? Well, he was very kind to see me in the first place, but um, this took place when I was arranging for a rare trip out to Los Angeles, and naturally enough, I wanted to meet Arthur, and I had fairly flimsy credentials, which in retrospect are much more legitimate than any I have today. Mm -hmm. But at that time, I was writing for the Minnesota Daily, which was the University of Minnesota paper, still is. And uh, so I, I implied that either the interview would be printed in that rag or it would be printed in another rag, a very serious rag, called the Fredonia Gazette. Seriously, that was a real rag. Let me. T no, I'm I'm kidding because my <laughs> my old pal Paul Wesolowski used to put that up. Okay, so where exactly did this take place? It sounds sounds like a restaurant or something. Where, where is it? Where? Yeah, you know, I listened to it um, after you put it together the other day, and it was the first time I listened to it in many years. And I do regret that uh, you hear a, a fair amount of commotion, but the reason why is is kind of nifty because Arthur suggested that we talk in the Beverly Hills Tennis Club. And of course, mm -hmm. that has some significance because mm -hmm. Arthur, in his youth, was a very serious and professional tennis player, won mm -hmm. many awards, as a matter of fact. So it was kind of, well, it was very apt that we met there. But you're going to hear a little disturbance. You'll hear people being paged. At one point, I think you even hear somebody named Bob Elliott being paged. Mm. I don't know if it's the same Bob Elliott of Bob and Ray, but it could be. And he just invited you down there to, to play some tennis? Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Um, I guess uh, either he had planned to be there for something else or it was convenient for him or more likely he didn't dare invite me into his home. So, no, it was just a, a matter of convenience for him. Do you have any idea what he was working on at the time? Was he trying to plug something or in the middle of a project? Uh, the only thing that I remember him mentioning is that he was trying to write a biography of Mickey Rooney. You'll hear that mentioned. Yeah. And I think he mentions some other project he's got going, but he certainly didn't meet with me to promote anything. No, and, and that's why I... I have to uh, say again that he was just being very nice to take out some time to, to see me. Okay. Well, as we get into this, I'm going to remind our listeners that uh, Jay recorded these interviews for reference only. They weren't really intended to be broadcast or heard by anybody. So the quality is not uh, great, but it's certainly uh, listenable, and I think you'll enjoy it. And as we pick up the interview, Jay is talking to uh, Arthur about his book, uh, Son of Groucho, and that's where we pick it up. I remember that going out of print very shortly after it came out, because I did a little write-up on what books are still in print, and I was surprised yeah. the Sun Well, that out. McKay, uh, I don't know, they, I thought they were a good publisher at the time, but I since discovered that they weren't very good. I don't know, they mishandled the book completely, that they didn't have copies in the stores when the thing came out, and they didn't have a decent tour for me, and they didn't give me any, any decent shows in it. And, and it was a literary guild book, in, in addition to everything else. And it, uh, it 
considered that one better than I did. That's crazy. But then I went out of business. Oh, uh, I think surprised, huh? So I always sort of discussed it with that whole thing. But they're all nuts. They all are crazy. <laughs> but I but I can't even get a pair back on it. That's what it makes me annoyed because everybody wants it. They write me and say, what can I get? People more protective now about discussing things about these and stuff. You got this on? You want me to yeah, drive it? Yeah, I got it on. Yeah, no. can you hear me? I mean, is it coming in all right? Oh, I Am I too far away? Oh, I'm uh, sure it'll be taking me. Uh, I think they are. I think there was this uh, proliferation of unauthorized biographies. And then I think they all kind of got together. Like, I'm doing this one on Mickey Rooney now. Oh, well, I know Mickey. I've known him since he was 12 years old. And I okay. produced a show of his. And we, I wrote it and created it. And I know. And I kept a diary of it. Oh. Uh, so I have a lot of good stuff on him. But there are certain friends of his uh, that I know when I call up, they'll say sort of guardedly, does Mickey know about this? Yeah. And I'll say, yes, he does, because I told him I was doing it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I offered at first to do it with him. Oh, I see. see, Mickey's sort of a baron witch house. He's, he's got his fingers in a lot of pies right now. Nothing ever happens with any of them. Oh. Only thing that happens with the sugar baby. Yeah. But uh, he's always doing about forty things at once. Yeah. And he's supposed to be doing his autobiography, but he'll never finish it. I thought he had an autobiography. He did. And that was terrible. <laughs> Roger Kahn wrote it. Oh yeah. And Mickey says everything in it's not right. Well, that was or, in the fifties or something. No, it was in nineteen sixty. It came out in sixty five, but oh. in sixty three the publisher had to sue him and said they'd given him an advance and he never came through with the book. Wow. So uh, I've got the book at home, and, uh, and I've been looking at it. And certain yeah. things are, I think, fairly true in it. But mm-hmm. he sort of is a way of not telling the truth by just leaving something out, mm-hmm. or or he'll enlarge on it to the point where it becomes a tall story, and it mm-hmm. isn't any. Truth. Reminds me of your father's autobiography. Yeah, which one? He never told anything in that one. I I t- I told him I couldn't believe it after I read it. it never mentioned the name. Even. Remember, I had that trick yeah. thing of using one name all the time. Yeah, he thought that was funny. <laughs> I said I thought I was terrible. I wanted to ask you. And he would never be. In, he he never would be truthful about himself. Yeah. Neither will Mickey. Uh, but didn't your father become a bit more candid as he got older, mellowed out a little? Oh, I don't think uh, he became any more candid. I think he just became more forgetful. Uh, he was really terrible when this book came out. You must have seen a few reactions Senator Groucho. That's what I wanted to ask you. What was Groucho's reaction to Senator Groucho? Because he put up such a fuss. And I thought the stuff that you were saying with Senator Groucho was worse. Well, it, it was more interesting and you know, yeah. valuable, but from his point of view, it might have been worse. Well, I thought so too. And then I gave it to him to read. Then he come up and said, "Dee, this is great. You tell everything." Uh, and now I later I found out why he objected so to this. He got mad because he thought in a couple of places I made him look foolish, where I had to say the dinner table scene and I'm in great neck. I don't remember that. He didn't like the candles on the didn't like the candles on the table and the, and the flowers on the table. And then I wrote up kind of a scene based on what usually happened. Uh-huh. And, and he said he thought it made him look silly. Uh-huh. Whereas in Son of Groucho, I just told the plain naked truth. Yeah. And that he didn't object to. Uh-huh. Although I have a feeling, my own heart, is that he objected to Son of Groucho just as much. But by this time, he just he didn't want to make a fuss about yeah. it. Uh, he probably learned from the first book. So, uh, so if he hadn't been I don't know. He was a he was a strange man. You never could figure. Yeah, I never told him I was writing Sonagrasa because uh-huh. I didn't want to. Uh, just didn't want to get into another thing with him, so uh-huh. I just just wrote it. And then after it came out, I told him and showed it to him. But I didn't show it to him until after it was actually in print uh-huh. when I gave him a copy. So he didn't even know about it until he saw this book. No, I left it on his bed, showed it to him. Wow. Then he was in a, He wasn't. Uh, didn't seem unhappy about it. And he called me up, you know, I don't know, two days later. Mm-hmm. And he said, yeah, I liked it a lot. Good. 
But I don't know whether he was telling the truth or not. He may have just been trying to be diplomatic or... Uh, he didn't do anything about plugging it, but I didn't ask him to because by that time he, he had no... He didn't have a show or anything. Yeah. That was around 1971, I guess, 72. He was probably less defensive, too, because he didn't have a weekly show. I don't know what he was defensive about. Well, when he had the weekly show, when this came out, one of the reasons that Simon and Schuster had asked me to write it was, it was right after my first book. And then You Bet Your Life was at its height then, really. It was when it first became real big, and he was making a big deal to go from CBS to NBC and getting a lot of money. And, and it was the first time he felt like a star on his own without the two brothers. He always loved them anyway. He had to be yeah. dependent on them. And then he had never acted like a star before. He never had been temperamentally. He never, uh, he never was a Sinatra, one of those people. He didn't like to go around actors. He was sort of almost introverted. But then after he became big with this, then he became acting. Then he, uh, I don't know what the, how I can say just what it was. That his whole personality seemed to change. It became. More, uh, more, more, more. Uh, more, more of an ego difference about all I can yeah. say. It used to be that way. Yeah. Mr. Martin, I'm going to have to ask you a lot of stuff that I already know the answer to. And one question that you undoubtedly have heard before is, what was it like being son of Groucho? Was it like, you know, Marx Brothers film with people running around with women? Well, I told you what it was like. <laughs> you read it in the book, didn't you? Yeah. Uh, uh, it wasn't that way at all because I tell you he, he didn't even you wouldn't know he was a movie star or I wouldn't know or the way he acted when we were kids he just acted like any other father he could be funny uh, spur of the moment make a joke about some something horrible that happened around the house but uh, as I say he didn't he didn't travel with the acting set in Hollywood he had lighter friends he was, well, I say he had all kinds of, all kinds of uh, sides to him. He could be, he'd always be thrifty in those days, yeah. in, in small, funny ways, yeah. like saving money on about the electricity. Well, of course, today it's not so funny anymore. No. It's such a small thing. So but in those days, it seemed like it. And he'd come from that poverty background, and he was always worried about the future. But he was never he was never lavish for for with the kids like say uh, Dean Martin has been with his kids like with Dino Jr. I mean Dino Jr. got a Ferrari and a helicopter and apparently a big income of his own. We never had any more income than any other kids with our two dollar a week allowance. That was about the most I ever got. Except when I got to college, I think maybe I got five dollars a week allowance. It reminds me a lot of what I heard about Dean Crosby's raising of his children. How he wanted to make sure they didn't think he was special. Yeah, he didn't, didn't get spoiled. Yeah. yeah, yeah, he was that way. I guess uh, I knew the Crosby kids. Strangely enough, both uh, their mother Dixie was an alcoholic, and my mother was an alcoholic. Oh, yes. I don't know whether that had anything to do with the with uh, the marriage or not. I have a feeling it did. I think my mother didn't. She really couldn't stand up to my father. He was a shy person. The only way she could ask him for a more allowance or money to buy a dress when they first got married was if she got a little loaded and then she had the nerve. So she found out work and but then she started getting drinking more and more. And I think the same thing happened with Dixie. That's it's also the same thing of being out of the limelight that you're overshadowed. That happened a lot with wives, I think, yeah. used to be. And it probably also has something to do with the fact that Groucho's uh, friends, the people he associated with, were not the same people that your mother would have associated the writers of the set. Yeah, I guess she did like them. She liked Norman Krasner, who was his best friend. She liked him. She liked Sam Behrman, the playwright. He used to take her out, and my father was working on Broadway and she couldn't had no one to go out with, they go out. Nothing sexual or anything, just friends. Yeah. 
Uh, now she liked them, but but a lot of she thought my father was an old fogey. That's a strange part of it. Everybody thought he was a lot of fun, but he he liked it when when he was shooting a picture, and he was only in his fifties or late forties. He'd want to come right, come home, eat dinner, and uh, listen to symphony music and go to bed or read, which a lot of people like to do. I like to do that too. She liked to go out. She was ten years younger, which wasn't yeah. a big difference, but she liked to go out and uh, go to a nightclub or something like that. Was Beverly more um, more of a club town back then? That's one thing I've discovered. There's not too much going on here at night. Well, there wasn't. There are. A, it's never been a nighttime town because everyone here has nice houses. I mean, not everyone, but I mean the people who would go to a nightclub ordinarily in New York, they all have homes and they would have their parties in their own houses. Uh, there used to be the Trocadero and there used to be the Mocombo. Well, first the Trocadero, then it became a Ciro's. Cup of the Manor? No, Cup of the Manor in New York. Ciro's and the Macombo became the big nightclub here in the 50s and late 40s. But they, but none of these things ever worked. But I think the new entertainment, television and everything, kept people home again. Yeah. Uh, but now I don't think the town's anything like it used to be. Beverly Hills is just one. I mean, it's like going to some tourist town. We don't even want to go there anymore. It used to be a nice little quiet village. I could show you pictures of nobody on the streets of Beverly. And now it's no fun. I was telling my wife yesterday, you don't even see anybody on the street there that you know anymore. You used to walk, walk in the store and you see your friend. And it was a little town. You walk up and down Rodeo Drive. It's a joke. I mean, feel like I'm in Hong Kong or something. <laughs> it seems like the only way they're getting walking anymore is if they go golfing. Like they've forgotten walking is free. If you I mean, here? Yeah. Well, the spaces are so, I mean, it's, uh, distances are so far here from one thing to another. Like in New York, you never use yes. a car, and I love to walk in New York, but here it's sort of boring uh, to walk. If you find, I mean. But if you just want to walk, it's fine. Yeah. Walk well, I mean, I live up in the hills, and a lot of people will walk around up there. I mean, my wife wouldn't think of walking around up there, but in New York, we've walked from the Barrio all the way up to 59th Street, don't think anything about it at all, because it's sort of interesting. Yeah, I know. Um, what do you do if you have a daily routine that is always dangerous asking off you because you've been a plan? Well, I work, I work every day. I, you know, we, we get up early because we have a lot of dogs and birds and all. Uh, but I usually start to work about eight. And the days that I play tennis, I, I usually work from about eight to one o'clock writing. The book like I'm doing now, I have to write sometimes, and I have to go out and do research or interview people, which I don't consider like this. But this one, I don't consider work so much. But I always miss a day when I'm actually writing. But sometimes in this kind of a book, you reach a point where you can't write anymore until you go talk to somebody. Well, basically, you're working on the Rooney book, and um, maybe. Well, I have a novel I just finished, a mystery story about a tennis yeah. club, and, uh, and I have a play that's a producer in New York supposedly is uh, helping to put together. I believe Minnie's voice being uh, revived, if I use that term, in uh, the Twin Cities. What is your reaction at this point? Minnie's, Minnie's voice. Well, I think it was a better show than Clyde Barnes gave us credit for when he panned it in New York opening night because Weller Crow, I consider a very good critic, he liked it. Yeah. And uh, I mean, there were things, a lot of things wrong with it, but there's a lot of things wrong with every Broadway musical because there's so many hands in the pot. Was uh, your intention to present a historical document or uh, entertainment form? Well, I think it was more like an entertainment form like Gypsy. Uh, we had a lot of problems with it. My father wasn't any help. Uh, he was going through a bad stage in his life. His wife had just left, and he had some physical problems. And the producer, and he was almost getting senile at that point. And, and the producer was trying to keep him away from New York entirely because he wasn't any help. And 
and I still had this problem. And I didn't want, I didn't start out doing the book. Incidentally, I think Stan Kanner, who's, uh, who produced Greystoke, is going to make a movie of Minnie's Boy. Really? He's talking to me about it now. Yeah, he's trying to get it directed. Yeah. So. Uh, it would be presented as a musical, right? As a significant. Well, he wants to do wants to do the book without the music musical parts of it, only except where we used it on the stage, oh, where it was yeah. inherent to the entertainment yeah. part of it. In other words, not make it a musical like Hypocrisy singing in the middle of the desert kind of thing, which was not my idea. The idea of the thing originally was to tell a story of the Marx Brothers through the kind of comedy scene that they use in their movies. That was what happened when Arthur Whitelock came to me originally. But he didn't come to me originally. He came first to David Steinberg. No, first I think they wanted Neil Simon. Neil didn't want to touch it at all. Well, that's strange. And uh, he didn't want to do it. And then they gave it to David Steinberg. And he wrote a terrible book on it. And then Arthur Whitelock was getting desperate because nobody, uh, he couldn't get anyone to do it. So then he called me up. I didn't even know him. And he said, well, why don't you and Bob do it? We had written The Impossible Years, which is a good year. Yes. Uh, the play around your place? No, I... The play's I, all I've over. I've seen the stock. film, and I assume that that's true to the play. Yeah. No, it's better. The play's better than the film. The yeah. film is oh. terrible, I thought. I mean, not terrible, but it's... If you see... We didn't do the screenplay, and for reasons I won't go in there now, but they took a, a funny play and made it unfunny. Yeah. Uh, did you like the movie? Huh? Did you like it? I, I liked it in parts. It wasn't good. See, what they did was they softened it. We had a real good, funny, hard-hitting comedy, and they made this terrible, pallid love story, mm -hmm. I thought, in this. And yeah. I don't know. It was just soft. Everything was well, terrible. That's a common complaint. It's really a tragedy. The tragedy is that the playwrights can't transcribe. Well, our agents double-crossed us on that. We thought that we, were, we sold it. We were anxious to sell it to the movie before we went to Broadway because we had some insurance of making some money, even if it wasn't a hit there. Yeah. Fortunately, it was. But we thought when we were making the deal with Metro that we were going to get the screenplay assignment. Now, technically, the dramatist field won't, won't allow you to put that in the contract yeah. because in the event that the studio doesn't want you to write the screenplay, or you don't have the experience to do it, uh, then you might kill a sale. There's Stan Cannon now, because you want to see him as I produce great stuff. So if you kill a sale, then you're hurting the producer. Why the dramatist will give a damn about the producer? I don't know. The producer doesn't give a damn about the writer. But, but you can do it. I since found out that you can do it without. I mean, you just tell the dramatist really it goes through themselves. We're going to do it that way, and we don't care. And you can ensure it that way. Anyway, anyway, that's why we didn't do it. And we finally found out we, MGM, Larry Weingarten, had a writer in, in Philadelphia when we were trying to show out. And I knew who the writer was. It was George Welch. And he was kind of a soft writer, not a real good comedy writer, in my opinion. But he used to write a lot of MGM 50s musicals and things that were. They were all right, but not. He wasn't a great comedy writer. I don't think. Anyway, we saw him sitting there in the audience, and we said, "What's he doing here?" And then we figured it out. They had brought him back to see the show, because he was going to do the screenplay, and we weren't. By then, it was too late. Anyway, to get back to what were we talking about? Minnie's Boy. Oh yeah, Minnie. Yeah. They couldn't get anyone to do it, so Arthur Whitelaw says, "Well, why don't you two do it?" And I said, "I don't want to do it." And I said, "Well, I wouldn't mind doing it." I didn't ask it in the first place, and he said, well, I wanted you to do it in the first place, but your father didn't want you to do it. Uh, well, he That's still... Huh? <laughs> this is news to you. Yeah. I, I mean, I never thought about it. He had just said they were going to do it. And he said, we're getting Neil Simon, and so I figured, great, yeah. get Neil Simon. But, uh, but what it turned out was Arthur wanted to do it, because we knew it pretty well. My partner had worked for my father for years before I knew him back in the radio days. And he certainly qualified as anybody like that. But there were so many so many things that went wrong during the production and Arthur Whitelock got nervous and he brought in well, Shelley Winters of Shelley course was terrible. Kate Ballard also had a part later. 
She did it in Pittsburgh or something. Did you like Terrence? I, I didn't see it. I never was crazy I about Terrence. I also liked Terrence. Who? Shelly? Well, he liked Kane. Where did he see that? Yeah, I don't know. I think he said it on. Um, I don't think he saw it because the only place they played it was in Pittsburgh. Hmm. Pittsburgh Civic Light Opera. And he didn't go back there for that. Hmm. Maybe it's more that he disliked Shelly Winters than he liked Kane. Kind of here. It's his fault that we had Shelly Winters. If we could have had Cody Fields, it would have been funny in it. I don't know if you know her. Yeah. But she was a big hit at the time in the nightclubs and the. She had, and she could sing and dance, and she could. She looked like she could have been the Marx Brothers' mother. Yeah. And we could have had a lot of theater parties and ensured that the financial situation in the show. But my father didn't like Tony Beals because he said she was too Jewish, and I had another fight with him about that. And I said, "Well, you're Jewish, aren't you? Well, the Marx Brothers are Jewish." And he said, "Yes, but the world thinks we're Italian." <laughs> My father was slightly anti-Semitic in a strange way. He wasn't really anti-Semitic, but in spite he, of all those great anecdotes about going in the water up to his knees. Yeah, he wasn't anti-Semitic. He was like, I think he just didn't want anyone to know he was Jewish because in those days when he was growing up, it was sort of a disgrace to be Jewish, and and I think it sort of rubbed off on him. Yeah. It's better not to tell anybody anymore. So it wasn't that he actually he was very pro-Jewish, yeah. but he just didn't want to be, he just wanted to be the way he was. Mm -hmm. He told me he never had a bagel until he was 75 years old. <laughs> <laughs> he was afraid of the name Bagel. If he ordered a bagel, it would sound. Yeah. Uh, How long are you going to be in town? Someone? I'm going to be in town through, well, Thursday morning, taking off for Albuquerque. I don't know what you're planning to do with this. You, know, you, all, you always wind up with a lot of information that well, it's fascinating to me. When I decided to come out here again, I thought, well, who would I want to see? And that's always been the big thing to me, the people I'm interested in. And this might appear in the Minnesota Daily, um, but as I suggested before, it might be so uh, of a, more of a particular interest to Marx Brothers fans. I mean, you can do it for both, You Do you go to school there? Yeah. Yeah. I've got I mean, who sees this Fredonia Gazette? I've only saw it once. <laughs> I wouldn't think that would have any circulation. I know, I know. When I had the Marx Brotherhood, we put out a couple issues of the magazine. I was sort of irritated when the Fredonia Gazette came out because their the banner says uh, the underscore the the magazine devoted to the Marx Brothers. I said, hey, what about Read Marx? Which is what I put out. And how often do they come out of that? Oh, I didn't know how long they can keep on and what can they dig up on them. Oh, you'd be surprised. You'd be surprised. Do you know Paul Wesolowski at all? He's the editor. No, I think I had some contact with him because when we were doing the show with Gabe Kaplan. Incidentally, oh. that's a real good show, this thing with Greg Gabe plays Groucho. I don't know if you heard of it. Yeah, I saw it on HBO. Oh, did you? Well, it's better than on HBO. When he does it in person, but we want him to play the colleges, and I think he played a couple of colleges in the Middle West there. But I don't know. Gave it such an erratic character. Never too. came up to the U of M. Yeah. Um, weren't they going to do something else with that? No, well, we were supposed to go to. Well, we we're supposed to go to London. We're supposed to be there now, but uh, it got screwed up some way with the yeah. theaters there. That I don't know actually. The finances in the theater so much. I think Gabe was asking too much money and no. it sort of fell through, but that's not the reason they gave. Well, you mentioned London, and I know that's where uh, today in Hollywood, Frank yeah. train generated from. How do you explain this, this strange phenomenon of people playing their father and their uncles on the stage? And, and how do you respond to that? Have a, a right to do that? Oh, well, you mean uh, legally? Legally or otherwise. I just find it, it odd that people are playing actors, playing parts now, instead of you know creating their own characters. Well, yeah, I don't react to it one way or the other. It's just it's it's 
seems like a funny thing to be able to copyright anything like a character because I mean, what is that character? It's not. It's not that any something something sat down and and wrote. I don't know. Nobody copyrighted it. It's just they slapped on. It was evolution really that makeup that they took on. My father started with a pony mustache that he pasted on, and one night it was just too much trouble. He didn't have time to put that on, so he took some grease paint, went like that, and, yeah. and, uh, and then the manager got mad at him and said, "Why do you got that pony mustache for?" And he said, "We paid for a. I must have read that though. He said, yeah. we paid, paid for a real mustache. We want a real mustache." Uh, I don't know. It's uh, you'd think that the scene that the Marx Brothers fans seem so uh, so dedicated. I don't know. You don't see anybody doing Laurel and Hardy so much. Yeah. Chapman. We had a chance to do Chapman last year in the one man show, and I turned it down. But I said, "How do you do Chapman?" Yeah, but, uh, first of all, nobody knows what Chapman. Why? Yes. And he didn't say anything funny, and he was Panama. Yes. So how can you copy this Panama? That was a great. Nobody can copy that. The great thing about Groucho as a, as a person is that he was the same way off camera. Well, you can use those jokes. You can that way of talking. You can imitate. Yeah. Except you're not do not. They don't do it too well. I wish we knew someone else who was good at that. Yeah. You know anyone? The best physical uh, Groucho I ever saw was Bobby Darren on the last show. You know who was good, I think, was Lou Stadlin. Yes. Yeah, many of us. Did you see that? I saw him on Omnibus. Yeah, we wrote that. Yeah, you wrote that. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, he was too. Uh, I didn't like. We didn't write that bit for him to play at all, but he decided to play it all. And we wrote it. We just had just a 40-year-old Groucho mind, and he made it the old. Uh, but actually, he didn't do the old part as well as Gabe Kaplan does. Yes, I was going to say when Kaplan did the more mature Groucho, it was very impressive. He was better than he was as a young Groucho. It's yeah. funny, we, we never could get him real sharp as a young Groucho. Here's a personal criticism about Kaplan. When I saw the show on HBO, um, I found it annoying because I couldn't understand what, yeah. what he was saying. He got, like he's got, he doesn't enunciate. His diction was yeah, really it was terrible. It got better. Yeah. But when we first were doing it, when we taped that down at Pepperdine College, you could not understand what the hell he was saying. I mean, you think anybody could do the Groucho clip way of speaking if they're going to do Groucho? I mean, Kaplan is an actor. You think you could do it, but yeah. I think he's got a soft palate or something. There's something wrong. I don't know because, what it is. Uh, I like the business with Pinto that you kept yeah. bringing up about uh, something about his connection with his brother, like the. Yeah. The thing plays, it's a good script. I wish we had someone who could be a little better than Gabe. And then we'd go to New York with it. But, uh, Gabe got a couple of bad reviews out here. One of the reasons from what you said, and he got scared of going to New York. Well, maybe he was smart not to go to New York. But also, we couldn't get him to sing. He didn't sing on key. And uh, he wouldn't do the Groucho dance very well. So, and we, and, he would, and we couldn't get him to practice either, or take lessons, or be tutored. And, and I mean, he just wanted to take the money and run. That's funny. So he had a great opportunity for a vehicle that he could use forever. And I guess he thinks no one else is going to do it, so he'll just do it when he wants and do it sloppy. Too bad. Well, it's a good script that he's, you know, done. Yeah. Uh, Let me know if you think of anybody good. I will. I'm not going to suggest myself. It's not easy to get. You know, one thing I've always wanted to do was to uh, try to resurrect You Bet Your Life just as a sketch. Because the thing that fascinated me about that show was the mechanics of it. And the fact that you, you wouldn't have lines projected on the screen. Behind the camera. And, and his guests wouldn't want to take it. He'd set up and would have to say uh, the beginning of a joke. Did we have, we had you bet your life in HBO, but we did it better this after we did it on HBO in the run that we had after that, and it and it really works, just doing it as a sketch. Oh, you mean as part of the you show? Bet, yeah. Yeah. We had it, but I mean. Yeah, I remember that. But we did it better in the, in the next version that you didn't see. No, it's too bad. Well, maybe you'll. Be we did it with a girl and Chico. On oh, HBO, we just yeah. did a Chico dance. Yeah, my wrong or wasn't Chico in the audience once. 
What do you mean? Don't go with the, in the audience of the actual show, EWI, the game show. It was in the audience, but nobody took the trouble to say, by the way. Oh, he might have been. I don't remember. Did he have a costume on? No, he's wearing a hat, as I recall. Yeah? Quite obviously. Because Harper was on and pushed the book. Yeah. Um, There's a picture of him over there if you want to see him. The yeah, well, he has a boss. See over there, that third? No, I'll wait. Yeah, we'll look at it on the way out. How did you um, come How did your father respond to your, your success as a tennis player and considerable attorney? No, he. Was he happy to share this limelight? Oh, yes, I think he was, except. Somebody told me that he when I whenever I used to when I was playing in tournaments that was a big thing around here. Then there wasn't that many tennis players, and tennis wasn't so important in those days as it is now. So my paper picture was always in the paper, or my name was in the paper, and yeah. I'd be back and playing in a tournament, and, and people would always walk up to my father and say, "How's pa, how did Arthur do in the tournament this day?" And then and somebody told me they met him on the street one day, and he got sort of annoyed. Why don't you ask me how I'm doing? <laughs> That's but like, that was because he wasn't doing that well, and that was right before you oh, bet your life. Okay. But, uh, so but I think he actually liked it. We always had a kind of a he he pushed me pretty hard in that direction, and uh, he was proud of the fact that I was doing pretty well as a player. And uh, unfortunately, lots of times I would lose in the finals in the big tournament. Not not when. When I when he when he didn't come, I'd usually win. So it oh, seemed like really? when all the Marx Brothers came, it was a big tournament. I lose. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Psychological effect. Reminds yeah. me of Pat and Mike, that film. Yeah. Like, what is but he he uh, he was proud of me that way. I always used to say that was, I was the only athlete in the family. Yes. And what about your what about your writing? Yeah, he helped me with that. When I was a kid, he, uh, whenever I had an assignment for school, he'd always uh, sit me down. I'd be, you know, as kids are when you first start out, it's not very good. And he'd just go over with me and tell me what was wrong and straighten out the language and contribute a couple of jokes. And, uh, I remember once he had to had to write an essay for school. For American Legion, uh, whoever won, got the best essay in the class, the history class, I think was going to get there submitted to the American Legion essay contest. So, so I wrote it, and then he went over with me, and I guess he improved it a lot. And I, mine was submitted and entered, and uh, came in second place in the whole contest. But I felt terrible about that because it was almost like he'd written the whole thing. <laughs> he was a good writer, though, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think he was better at uh, improving upon the material that he was given. Yeah. At least in the film. Well, yes, he wasn't that. He wasn't that. Uh, he wrote pretty funny pieces when he was writing magazine pieces. Yeah. Uh, he didn't have them ghosted or anything. I think there's only a couple that were ghosted, and I wrote both of them. One was for This Week magazine, the other one was in Collier's. I. I used to do a lot of writing for Collier's, and they wanted him to write a piece telling Leo DeRocher how to run the Giants. Oh, I remember, remember that. Yeah. And uh, they didn't want a credit on it for, as told to leave, and I didn't want to do it, but I did it for him anyway because I'd been working for them. So I wrote that piece. Huh? I'll have to I think it was a pretty funny piece. I mean, he didn't give me any trouble with that either. As I said, when I wrote my first novel, he, he read it, didn't like it at all and asked me to. So I should throw it out, and then Simon and Schuster published it. Yeah. And he was always super critical of anything I wrote because I guess there was a little bit of. It's hard to give anything to another writer because they always look at it the way they would have written it. Mm -hmm. That's something you should learn, but you probably have learned it. Just don't give anything to uh, someone who's a competitor, really, because they're going to be <laughs> bound to find fault with it. I didn't realize that until after it happened twice with me. Can you uh, pinpoint a, a 
occasionally you decide you wanted to be a writer, why did you pick up that? Well, I didn't want to be an actor. He kept saying, don't be an actor. And when I was growing up, he, a lot of people out here were making a lot of money, not like today. Today, a few people were making a lot of money. In those days, a lot of people were making a lot of money who couldn't write very well. And he would keep saying, be a writer, you can make a lot of money, even if you have no talent. Sort of that was down, very putting you down. <laughs> 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 uh, it's if I had been any of that kind of a person, I suppose I would have cracked up. My sister cracked up. But, uh, but anyway, that's. So he said, go and you go to school, take English. And uh, so I took journalism. And I wanted to be a writer anyway. Yeah. I don't, you know, he associated with writers. I saw him all the time. It looked like a nice life. Yeah. They, didn't, they didn't seem to work. And, yeah. Yeah. I didn't realize how hard it was. Really. We used to get a lot of writers around this club, like uh, Erwin Shaw used to belong here. I used to play tennis with him when I was a kid. He just died, and I felt terrible about that. He was a nice fellow, and uh, he was a good writer. And he was a better writer in those days when he wrote Bury the Dead and all of New Yorker short stories. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you've read any of them, but they're real good, huh? We used to have a lot of good writers here. So I was around him all the time. Catherine Riskin belonged here to this club, and Elliot Nugent, and Elmer Harris, a lot of names you probably don't remember, but you must know Catherine Riskin. Oh, yes. And Norman Krasner was yes. the top movie writer in those days here. And so I got to see them and listen uh, to how they talked. Let me ask you something that I don't know if you want to discuss, but I know one of the few people I can ask about it. What is the status of this whole court thing involving the uh, oh, well, it's, state? It's the status is uh, we won the case and she's appealing. They're just in the middle of appealing. That they, have, they haven't even finished transcribing the court testimony yet, yeah. so they can't they, they can't write their appeal until it'll probably go to to the appeals or that appellate court sometime well, I was in the late years. I heard the last uh, sentencing because it seemed like the jury said, "One uh, thing, you're, and you're not guilty, but you have to pay the Aaron." And then the judge said something about, "I don't understand that." No, well, I don't know what you're talking about there. What happened was the judge, the jury came in with a bigger judgment, and the, ju and, oh, the ju and the judge changed. And we thought the judge didn't know what the hell she was talking about to tell you the truth, because it was like she hadn't listened. Aaron came in and started acting like a nut in the beginning, and she was threatening people, and they had to search her because they thought she had a gun on her, and she talked back to the judge. Real terrible. You'd think the judge would go the other way. I, I, uh, I couldn't understand what her strategy was. Someday I'll write the real story of what happened. I don't want to get involved in it now because it might sure. affect the case. Yeah. But uh, it's, one of the it's, a, well, it's an interesting story, and nobody really knows how it all started, yeah. except me. Well, I am talking, but I don't want to talk about it now because I want to. I want to get the case over with, and then I want to talk about it. Is it, it true that all all of his uh, well, his memorabilia has been willed to the Smithsonian that it won't end up there until the case is resolved? Well, no, what's happened was there was nothing that we wanted. In other words, the family could have it, or she could have uh, have it or whatever she wanted or whatever we wanted and uh, we picked what little we wanted and the rest was to go and she was to have her pick and then the rest was to go to the Smithsonian and, and it just got screwed up by the bank and she never, she never, it should be there now, no, it doesn't have to go. I don't know what there is anyway, there wasn't that much stuff that making a big deal of nothing, I don't know. Well, he had a lot of scrapbooks. Films. Not much though, really wasn't as much, you know, like Bob Hope as a yeah. whole house full of stuff. My father really had nothing because he, over the years, he didn't keep much. He kept a few reviews and a couple of scripts. And, but he didn't really have what he should have had because he didn't care about the past uh, in that sense. He started collecting a little at the end because he got sentimental when he was getting older. But in the old days, he never, he wouldn't even reminisce. That case will probably be resolved sometime this year. Whatever they're supposed to go to the Smithsonian, we've been after them the last three weeks saying, for Christ's sake, why don't you send it there? We don't want it. I'd rather have it there than in my house. I have no more room in my house. There were some pictures and things. I don't know whether the home movies and stuff like that go. But. Well, you know, as a film collector, I'm interested in seeing it. I hope it ends up there someday. Yeah.
Well, how are we doing on time now? Well, I, you can, you can call me again if you want. If you think of anything, you have anything. This thing's still going. I'm just about <laughs> the end of the tape. Just I mean, have you got any quick questions? Uh, I'd like to hear you dredge up some of the anecdotes that you, you printed because, uh, you know, I really don't want to quote from your books as much as I would rather. Why don't you just quote from the books? <laughs> I don't watch them. I'm sick of them. <laughs> I know what you're, you mean. I mean, don't tell me a quote of my book. Just take it out of them. It's my wording anyway. Would you like me to send you a transcription of this uh, before it's printed? Or? What? What are you going to print? Yeah. What are you going to do? You're not going to just print this, are you? You're going to write it. Hmm? You're going to write it, aren't you? are not just going to print the interview this oh, way, are right, you? Right. Or are you? I don't know. A question and answer, just like that? I don't think so. Uh, that Mark's Brothers magazine occasionally does that, but I would rather write it. You better write whatever you are you, you know, if you want to well, know... It's more fun to write an article than it is to transcribe it. Oh, yeah. I did one on Gene Kelly yeah, last I remember year that. in Parade. Yeah. Where's he living now? Well, he's living in some house he rented near where his house burned down. Oh, I Funny, I went... The day I gave... It was the 23rd of January, and I had just gotten a copy of it from the magazine, and I took it over to his house, and he wasn't there, and I stuck it in his mailbox. Which you know was a slot in his front door, yeah. and then I went away. And the next day, I the house burned down. He did get the article, you know, but, but I was starting to say I was really one of those question and answer articles, and I find it kind of boring to write. I, first of all, he wasn't he wasn't he wasn't saying very much. I found <laughs> I don't know whether he was whether he was punchy. Uh, he told no. He's pretty frank about his wife dying and all that, but, uh, but he didn't really. I don't know whether how honest he was with me about no. certain things. He could. He has a good life, uh, interesting life. If I really went into it, I had to cut out so much because it was the format on that magazine. The pieces are so short that by the time you get into it, you have to you have to get out, and I hate that. It appeared in I think uh, Parade. Yeah, it's in, it's in a lot of uh, papers, Sunday couple. Yeah, it was in the New York Daily News, and it's not in L.A. at all, it's in San Francisco. But I had another piece in there about my father a couple, about a year ago before that. that answer was Are you uh, beleaguered by saying that you didn't No, not really. I just if I have a book out or something and I go on a talk show, I usually wind up talking about my father and my experiences with him more than I do about the book I wrote. Yeah. So there you have it. Um, I gather he was not a big fan of Gabe Kaplan. Well, um, what you heard him say is that he was somewhat disappointed in his portrayal of Groucho in the show that Arthur and his partner wrote, mm -hmm. I think that Frank Ferrante is still doing that show. Mm -hmm. um, and clearly, you know, he, he, he became very fond of Frank Ferrante's portrayal. In fact, they became very, very good friends. But uh, Kaplan... Well, Frank does it in English, right? <laughs> <laughs> I think they were both doing it in English, but... Um, mm. uh, yeah, I, I think... Didn't we just hear, hear Arthur say something about he wasn't uh, too fond of the way uh, Kaplan attempted to sing? Yeah. And I think he says his diction was poor, that type of thing. Mm -hmm. He didn't yeah. want to rehearse for some reason. According right. to, you know, Arthur, that's what he said. So anything else come to mind as you listen to it again? Well, one thing I, I was dumbfounded by, and I am on a day-to-day -day basis dumbfounded by many things, but I, I never seemed to be used to it. At that time, I was dumbfounded when I was trying to get Arthur to dust off some familiar stories uh, that he had written about, but I didn't really want to pretend that I had never heard these stories so I would try to lead him into these things mm -hmm. and he just said no I don't want to go into that again quote from the book 
And I think you hear me gasp or laugh at that point because I thought it was ridiculous. Uh, it would have been ridiculous for me to take passages from, for example, Life with Groucho, the book, and pretend that he had said them. Well, he was basically saying he didn't care if I did that. In fact, he would be relieved if I had done that, but I had no intention of doing that. So he just kind of took me by surprise. Um, there was one thing towards the end, which I'd like to mention, um, is not actually on this tape, so you're going to have to take my word for it, but I think, uh, I, I think it'll be easy to, to believe it. What happened was, after about 50 minutes, um, I'm afraid I, he was getting a little tired of me and tired of my questions. And I find that hard to believe. <laughs> I'm surprised you haven't cut me off yet. <laughs> but here's the deal. What he said was, was so funny uh, to me, um, or at least in retrospect it was. Again, we're in the air-conditioned, dark uh, confines or environs of the Beverly Hills Tennis Club. And it's mm -hmm. a bright uh, June day, and a lot of people outdoors by the pool. And as if to get me away from him and and glom me onto some innocent victim out by the pool, he looked over his shoulder and he pointed at a, a blonde lady and he said, Hey, look, out by the pool, it's Zeppel's ex-wife. Go talk to her. Well, you know who Zeppel's ex-wife was. It was Mrs. Frank Sinatra. Yeah. Barbara Sinatra. Now, Frank had a number of bodyguards, and I believe that Barbara had one or two. And, you know, if I had actually taken the bait and, and come up to Barbara Sinatra, it's conceivable that a henchman named Jilly Rizzle would have tossed me right into the pool. Oh, Jilly, yeah. Remember Jilly? Well, I, I used to live in Chicago, and there is a famous club. Oh, yes, Jilly's Restaurant. Yeah. And... Um, when I was in New York under false pretenses a few weeks ago, or <laughs> I was there by mistake. We'll leave you actually came a lot closer to seeing Matthew business than Matthew did. Yeah, I did. I actually got closer than anybody else, including Matthew, which is pretty amazing. <laughs> but I, I discovered at the time that um, the old Jilly's restaurant where Frank Sinatra hung out in New York mm -hmm is now, I think it's called the Samovar Restaurant. Mm. And I was very tempted to go there, but I, I didn't have enough t uh, time, really, because I was too busy, you know, staying awake at the Algonquin mm -hmm. and trying to rest up during daylight hours, stuff like that. So getting back to your story, did you sense any animosity between Arthur and Barbara? Oh, no, 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 not at all. Uh, you know, now that you mentioned it, uh, yeah, it stands a reason that there would be, since uh, she divorced his brother Zeppel. Mm -hmm. But um, he didn't—he um, didn't really elaborate on on, on this at all. I, mm -hmm. I just took it at face value, which was presumably an understandable attempt to get rid of me. <laughs> <laughs> but he did talk to me, you know, for nearly an hour, and that was very generous. And he bought me. An iced tea. Oh. So was that the last time you spoke to him, or did he get one of those restraining orders like all your other uh, interviews? Well, we communicated subsequently. I have a couple of letters from him, and mm -hmm. uh, once email became available, mm -hmm. uh, we emailed uh, every once in a while. But um, I once wrote to him an email mm -hmm. because it was so easy to do. And he, you know, he was, he was always receptive. He didn't seem to embrace my connection with him, but he didn't avoid me either. Mm -hmm. So I, I may have abused it at one point, because I do remember writing to him after watching one of the Blondie movies. Now, he wrote a couple of the Blondie films. Mm, right. And Arthur Lake played Dagwood. So... For whatever reason at the time, I was trying to pry some information from him about Arthur Lake. And then he wrote back and he said, Jay, I've got better things to do than to write to you about Arthur Lake. 
And of course, I felt very bad about this because um, I liked the guy. I didn't want to piss him off. Mm -hmm. So I immediately wrote back and I said, well, I'm terribly sorry, uh, Mr. Marks. I'll tell you what, if you will excuse that or forgive that, I, I promise I won't write to you again. And his answer is what amused me. Hmm. Although I'm sure he's just being honest. What he wrote back was, okay, you've got a deal. <laughs> <laughs> he was a pretty funny guy except that he was being serious he was so funny he was funny even when he was being serious amazing so it's going to be hard to top that so on that note we're going to wrap things up here um, and I'm, Jay has picked out our final song and I'm going to give him the uh, opportunity to introduce it Jay go ahead you know you pulled this on me the first time and as a result, I generally come prepared. And because of that, I'm here to tell you that I would love it, you see, yeah. if you would play the theme from the motion picture Arthur. The lyrics have nothing to do with Arthur Marks, but the title is Arthur Okay. by Christopher Cross. And here it is. Now I'm going to play something totally different, but no, I will, I'll play it. Do whatever you want. I don't no, I'm just kidding. Of course I'll play it.
I, I was kind of digging around. I thought it'd be great if I could find a strange song that was about tennis players. But of course I could not. <laughs> 